This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. One day I was just out, kind of just tooling around by myself, and uh, I was like, you know what, it's flat today, it was in the summer, I'm going to push offshore. I pushed offshore, kind of trolling around, and had caught a sail, and a second later I had caught another sail, and I was like... Well, I could do this on a little boat. So we started chasing sailfish on our flats boat. We had an 18-foot Maverick, and it really started there. But And I got Tommy and his family involved, and we could only go on, on flat days. And, uh, you know, we stuffed the bale a few times on the Maverick, which scared everybody. But we would, we would, we would catch a lot of sail. So when we upgraded to a bigger boat, obviously it made it that much easier for us to, you know, fish offshore a lot more than just fish inshore. I don't know. It was like in December, I guess. We just had a had a good a good December, a really good January. And in February, I was just thinking back like, wow, how many have I even caught? And how many could I catch? This is Hunter, the Silent Captain, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm fresh off a trip to LunkerCon, and while there, I got to do a few podcasts with some people. One of the people that I got to do a podcast with, well, it's actually a group of people, uh, Captain Matt George. He and his son, Hunter, who's known as the Silent Captain, and his friend Tommy have been on a quest for 100 sailfish, which is not altogether strange in itself. They live in a great sailfish area, or, you know, anywhere between Fort Lauderdale and Jupiter there. There's some fantastic sail fishing. It's not uncommon to catch a hundred, but they're doing a little differently. They're on a quest to catch a hundred out of a bay boat. And they're not just on a quest. They're closing in, closing in on it. So I've been wanting to catch up with these guys, find out what all is going into this and find out about this cool project that they've got going on. But we just had Hurricane Dorian and it really hit the Bahamas harder than than maybe we thought and at first 
And I've been trying to get a lot of information about the recovery efforts over there, the fishermen in Florida, all, all along that coast, frequent the Bahamas all the time. It's just part of the program. So it is really, really hard to see the Bahamas suffering like they are right now. And it turns out that Matt it has been um, really a part of the very, very early relief efforts going into all of the all of the out islands and he gave me the most up-to-date information that i've heard yet about what's really going on over there that is part of this podcast in fact we lead with that so if you like the bahamas as much as the rest of us and this is a very uh, educational podcast because matt in fact he before we did the podcast he was over there that morning delivering supplies delivering um you know, information and, uh, and, and helping the people early. So that is an interesting part of this podcast. Stand by for the quest for 100 with Matt, the silent captain and Tommy. We're live at the Tarpon River Brewing Company. And if you hear some noise in the back, this is right before the event LunkerCon. And so there's a lot of music and a lot of people outside, some people walking in to buy merchandise here, but we thought it would be a good place. Yeah. Matt. It's a quaint place. <laughs> yeah, man. Thanks for sitting down with me. You've got so many things going on. I'm really excited to talk to you. What have you been doing? Well, I mean, other than fishing, you know, I guess the, the hurricane's been a big topic lately. So uh, we've been working with the Stewart Sailfish Club uh, for their relief efforts the last four days. Right now we have... Uh, four planes and uh, three helicopters in our fleet. So we've been providing uh, relief aid to uh, all of the outlying islands in the Bahamas. So we're basically trying to pave the ways. We, we basically have uh, seven days to be able to do what we're doing before the big, the bigger operations get in the FEMAs, the Red Cross and right. those kinds of places. So how, how do you end up kind of in this seven day window? How do you end up kind of being, being somebody that is helping? I mean, obviously Thank you for helping, but yeah. how, how is it that you have that connection to help? Yeah, so uh, basically I, I've i been watching the storm like we all were for five or six days before it was, you know, it was going to look like it was could have been a direct hit for, for Stewart area. Right. So, uh, but I also was reached out to a guy by the name of Pat Price, um, Daymaker Fishing Charters, and another guy, Seth Funt, um, Three Buoys. And those guys in the, the last few years out of the Stewart area have done um, these types of relief efforts year after year. So I reached out to them before the storm even got close to us to ask them if this happens, you know, are you guys going to respond in any way? And of course they said, absolutely offered my assistance in the way of uh, satellite communications. So when I'm not fishing and I'm not doing other things, I'm, I have a corporate job and that's what I do. I, I do satellite communications for the maritime industry. Okay. And like sat uh, phones and, and sat phones, um, big VSAT systems, which is high speed internet on a lot of the shipping boats. Okay. So it's a global role. So we have, uh, we have, uh, 17, uh, offices on five continents. And so I spent a lot of time in airplanes myself. Uh, last year I flew 330 some thousand miles in the air, uh, <laughs> wow. just visiting offices and checking up on teams. So a lot of trips to Asia and Australia and other places. But uh, so that's what I do. So I understand how to keep people connected when the lights go out. So I just wanted to offer my assistance because I knew. So in this situation, 
you see, I mean, there there really haven't been many news crews. In fact, what you're seeing is maybe a helicopter flying over a cell phone video and stuff like that. You've been there the last few days. Yeah. Um, and where have you been going? So I've been, uh, my first trip on Wednesday evening was uh, to Blue Marlin Cove. Okay. And that's a popular place for a lot of people on our, you know, the West Palm Beach, Stewart, Fort Lauderdale type areas for people to stay. Um, it's a good a good place to fish out of. And uh, when we flew in there, it wasn't quite as bad as what I expected. Not from what I've seen pictures of, you know, the Abacos and, and further down Marsh and different places like that. But it was still bad. And those people still needed supplies. So we, we did a drop there. And uh, they're very, very appreciative, very thankful. <laughs> they want to know when we were coming back. Mm-hmm. But they didn't seem to be in real despair. When we got to Grand K, now the people in Grand K were, it was beat up. Uh, that place was in bad shape. I mean, they basically had nothing. They still had some structures, no roofs. Obviously, they didn't have any type of supplies. We were there dropping water, food other types of toiletries and other things for them. And they wanted plywood. They wanted tarps. And I think we did drop some tarps off, but they wanted building supplies. Mm-hmm. They were worried about where they were, gonna, where they were going to sleep. So we made sure we had uh, additional flights there to, to get them those relief items that they needed, generators, some fuel, those kinds of things. Uh, today, I flew into Treasure. By far, that's probably the worst I've seen so far. Not only was it, was it bad, but I mean, it's difficult to get into. There's nobody communicating with the planes. The communications that are going on, there's 30 other air, airplanes that are trying to communicate at the same time. And actually, when we were on our initial descent to come into land uh, this morning into Treasure, there was another plane taking off. Oh, and they were basically coming out <laughs> coming out the, the, the wrong way straight wow. at us. So there really wasn't anybody directing um, the traffic. So most of what you do there is... You get in on the ground, you find your connection, you know, the guy that's handling your offload for you, um, and basically link up with them, get their vehicle close enough to the vehicle because the the airfields are just lined with people just waiting. You get your, your payload um, off to them and just hope that it gets to the place that you want it to go to. And uh, today we were dropping off for uh, Green Turtle. So that's a place that we know um, is in desperate need of supplies. Mm-hmm. But right now you need a boat to get there. So even though we're dropping off a treasure, these guys have access to a boat. They'll be taking those supplies over there. So we have uh, one person on the ground. So once that, once those supplies get there, at least we'll get some, some radio information that, yes, the, everything made it or no, it didn't make it. So yeah. we'll have so an idea. One of the things that you said I found interesting was that you, you feel like you have seven days a seven-day window where people like you, concerned citizens that may have connections or whatever, or are deeply tied to the Bahamas, are offering aid. And then what do you think or what leads you to believe that in seven days something different is going to happen? Well, I, I don't think that, that anything is necessarily going to, to change. I mean, we have to be honest with ourselves. It's going to, I mean, this storm is completely reshaped um, the Bahamas. I mean, the physical landscape of the Bahamas to the infrastructure to everything across the board for the Bahamas. I mean, there are people lined up to leave the Bahamas now. They just want out. They don't want to rebuild. They're, they're ready to go other places. So this is, this is uh, going to be a long process. It's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. But um, our concerns were to try to get to these outlaying islands that, you know, you don't see on the news. Everybody's focused on 
you know, the relief efforts in Marsh. They're they're focused on all the other Abacos and different places like that. Like that is the focus. But these other places, they've been in the dark for just as long. Right. They need they have people that are there. They may need medical assistance, medical supplies. Um, evidently, I, I didn't know this, but in the Bahamas, um, prostate cancer is a big thing in certain places. And uh, we had to get some people off the island that needed those types of um immediate assistance from wow. from our medical people so on in the US so there's there's a lot that's uh a lot that's going on beyond somebody just needing water or certainly you know that kind of stuff so, so you know when we have storms in the keys you may have a storm like Wilma that hits Key West and Isla Mirada basically was unharmed i mean even sugarloaf at that point may be may be really some trees down palm mm-hmm. fronds everywhere you know it's a mess but you know, no roofs are gone while, while 30, 17 miles down the road, yeah. it could be real devastation. And this storm comes kind of what I saw was it kind of came kind of across almost like elbow key goes into marsh, then goes to grand Bahama. So from what you're gathering, and I'm not getting any of this information from the news, the islands south of that and where's that line where things were kind like of free, a free mess, port, but Freeport South. Yeah. From what I've been seeing, I mean, we can't even get into Marsh Harbor right now. It's still just, uh, they're just, it's just a recovery type of, uh, scenario there. They're, they're running around with cadaver dogs. I mean, it's, it's really, really bad there. They won't let anybody in to help because there's a big cleanup of just what has happened there. I mean, there's a lot of people that didn't uh, who's, make it. Who's doing that cleanup? Um, I, I can only suspect that it's the Coast Guard. We've, we've tried to see if we could get in, but, um, that place, it looks like an atomic bomb went off there. I mean, it's, it's bad. So when you go further South of that, like, did you do any kind of flight path around that? So so what we're doing today, we actually did that. We're, we're going at the end of today, we were staging it beforehand. We got uh, another 220 gallons of jet fuel in 55 gallon drums with a hand pump. And the Blackhawk helicopter only has so much range. And helicopter right now is the best, the best form of transportation and safest way for us to get in and out because not all the airfields are open. Right. So the reason why like people are dropping in places like Old Bahama Bay and, and Treasure and those kind of, they have an open airfield. So those places are just being inundated with, you know, relief and supplies. Now, bigger companies where they can put boots on the ground and they have a vehicle and they have fuel and they have uh, all these other things that can facilitate their drops can help that get further beyond the airport. Yeah. So what we're doing now is we're getting additional fuel runs. We, we're working on um, now that we can get some, we're able to get it in there with, uh, with boats now. Uh, we're working on a barge that we can store fuel ba- bladders on that we can actually land the helicopter on, be able to fuel from the heli- from the the fuel bladder to the helicopter, and that'll give us the range that we need. So we just don't have the full range to make it further down to some of these other harder hit areas. But as soon as we do in the next day or so, we'll we'll be heading that way. Yeah. So, so you have no idea what like Andros or or Exuma or any of these other islands. No, our next our next uh, our next stop will be uh, Fox Island. Okay. So we got some intel there that those people are in desperate need. Yeah. And nobody has seen. You know, nobody has been there at all, not their own government, no one. So that is that's our next goal is to get there and, and get some get some help and some relief to those people. Wow. Such a 
<clears throat> such a bad storm. I mean, yeah. just it, it seems like it, you, you take worst case scenario and then it's even worse than that because worst case scenario is a direct hit on these places. But then that storm slowed down to I, I've never seen one do that. And, and it just stayed there. It stalled just, for 36 hours. It sat over top of them. It's unbelievable. 36 hours of just, I mean, when you see the, I mean, even the trees are ground to stumps in some places. You know, some of the places I've been to and have flown over, there's there's no greenery anywhere. It almost looks like a desert of sticks if, if yeah. you can, you know, imagine what that would look uh, like. Yeah, I mean, we're in the areas in the Keys where where it was the worst, That's that's what it looks like. And that's what, yeah, that's my experience there is that everything is just brown. I mean, you, yeah. you like when Irma came through, I went Scott Walker and me and, and Ed Walker and, and some other guys got on boats and took some supplies down there. And as soon as it comes into, into view, you know, you're like, well, that should be duck key or that should be something, but it's just this brown. Yeah. Mass. Like you don't see trees. It's just brown. And it just, it's kind of like, is that, Am I looking at the right thing? Because, you know, you, you generally associate it with so green and and it's just everything's just brown. Yeah. Yeah. When we uh, we we responded to uh, Irma as well and uh, we went in with uh, Miami-Dade fire, I think it was the second or third day. There was only one lane in mm-hmm. and there was two roadblocks. So we had the, the clearance to go all the way down and we started our efforts um, in Isla Mirada. That's where everybody was meeting. That was like the base. And then we worked our way south as we worked our way south and this was the first real disaster I had been a part of with, with this company. And we've gone to floods and different things. And normally that's not what we do, but we knew that people needed communications and we can, we can offer that. And uh, so we worked with Homeland Security. We worked with FEMA. We worked with a lot of big agencies that, you know, just weren't, weren't really fully prepared for what was going on down there. But where, where, where I think we really made the most difference was with the Key West uh, Fire and Rescue and Police Departments. Mm. Now, those guys were without communications for days, and we basically went down there, set up a VSAT that they all could log on to. And I have a video of when that Internet went through and everybody got signal, huh. the, the look on their faces and, you know, the immediately calling home, letting everybody know they were okay. And you could hear everybody's phones dinging and emails coming through and text messages and right. everything. And, but, you know, it was nice to see that we were making a difference to be able to help them to communicate whatever efforts they were bringing in. I mean, from bringing in, um, I mean, things we don't even think of, like, you know, you have the turtle rescue place, you have, um, help me out, Tom, what is the, what's the island? The, it's like the little zoo there. Oh, on Key West? Yeah, not on Key West. It's it's a little further north. But but anyway, we were helping people coordinate food for to feed oh, the yeah, animals. Right, right, right. Because right. you don't even think of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, but they couldn't get through the roadblocks. And there was just a lot of things that we helped with that um without what you know, we only helped with the communications. But if we didn't have those communications, there was no way that that stuff would have ever gotten in. And that stuff was uh it made a difference and it does make a difference. Yeah. So. Oh, it makes a, makes a huge difference. And for somebody that you're down there, you don't have any communication. Everybody's worried about you. It, it, that's one of the, the first things that makes the biggest difference in, um, you know, being able to start the recovery process. It's yeah. Obviously people are, you know, might be well-intentioned. They're bringing things you don't need. Yeah. It's like with just a little bit of communication, all of a sudden, yeah. if somebody's got a dire medical emergency, that's obviously way more important than plywood 
yep. or or toilet paper or water or something like get we need to get this person out um well that's that's really um cool what you're doing yeah. when you when when there's no cell phone service whatsoever what kind of equipment do you have to take in like when you're talking about the the key west example mm-hmm. what do you have to take in like, so we we'll take in um we'll take in generators different types of power supplies so we can convert the power to get it to work. But we'll bring VSATs in. Mostly we call them like an office in a box. It's a big Pelican case that'll have a one meter or 60 centimeter dish and they're three axis so they can search for the satellites themselves. A small little rack, but basically we'll just hook it up. And as soon as that happens, it creates a Wi-Fi hotspot. Hmm. We can give them as much speed, just like your home internet. Really? And it doesn't have to be really high or anything like that? It just has to have a straight shot at the satellite. Wow. So the reason I was asking that, I was just wondering what the challenges were to, like, taking these to remote areas in the Bahamas. Like, you're saying it's like like that case right there. Yeah. Well, bigger than that case. But, yeah, very, very very similar. So, like, in the very early stages, we're just using basically handheld sat phones, small little cellular – or satellite devices that you can throw on the ground, connect with your cell phone through an app and be able to make your call. And up to five users could use that device at the same time. So those things have actually helped us to coordinate a lot of the stuff that we're doing that will lead to the the bigger stuff. Like right now, there's just no infrastructure there. So even the drops and and the supplies and the things that are going, the people that are fortunate enough to get them are the ones that have those connections with the Americans so far. And uh, so, like, uh, you know, you said earlier about, you know, some of those little things really make a difference. Somebody was saying I wasn't on the trip, but they did a drop. And uh, one of the Bohemians had said, uh, you don't understand what this bottled water does. And the guy was like, well, you know, I thought maybe he was talking about he was thirsty. But he took it and he just basically washed his face and looked at him and said, now I feel like a million dollars. And it was just something as simple as that, that, you know, one bottle of water that was... uh, that kind of made a, a different difference because we all think, oh, they're thirsty, you know, they're yeah. they're 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 parched. But this guy just wanted to wash his face. What do you think the next month holds? Do you think that our FEMA has to step in in this situation? I mean, I mean, we should. Yeah. But, I mean, what 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 happened? I mean, you're closer to this than than anybody that I've talked to. The recovery. I mean, I was telling somebody the other day. They were like, "Well, what do you think about the Bahamas situation?" I'm like, "Dude, or, or this this." person actually listens to the podcast he's associated with junk collecting and not you know like for profit and he was offering his services to help the bahamas and i was like man you would fill a truck in five feet like you wouldn't be able to clear five feet of road off yeah. without clearing a truck there's that much from what i've seen there's that much yeah. stuff roofs houses shingles every possible thing that you could imagine is there and it's stacked yep so there's so many challenges. And when, when we see something like Irma or Wilma come through the Keys, you see hundreds of FEMA trucks and hundreds of FEMA workers and thousands of volunteers yeah. and independent contractors and all of these people coming. And it still takes over a year to get the Keys back to, together with those type of resources. Right. And, and there's dumps and there's ports, and there's places where big container ships are coming, and all of this trash is going, and then they're just going up the road. You have no idea where that's going. I look at this situation, and I just think this is something that I don't think that the Bahamian government is prepared to to handle. No, I don't think so, and that's why I think it's important for what 
kind of like what we're doing in this first seven days because we know after that the bigger agencies are just going to come in and do what they need well, to do. Well, we hope. That's what I'm asking. Hope, yeah. I mean, do you think that that's what's going to happen? Like I, FEMA? I, th- I think that's what's going to happen. I mean, but, but the, the, the bohemian government hasn't even responded yet. Well, they, but, but I see that – I see why they don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. But I just wonder, like it's really not our – they are not a U.S. territory, Mm-mm. so but it's the not US is really. The only, only of course, of course, it's so the far. right thing to do. Right. But it's like, is are are just FEMA resources just going to be handed over? Which is what we all hope right yeah. now. Like we need to help these people so much. But I just wonder, like to somebody that's close to it, like I, it's just total speculation. But I just wonder if that's the plan. Like, yeah, I mean, I I don't know what the exact plan is, and and by no means am I an expert in what's going yeah, on sure, over there. Of I've just I, been I able to hit the ground running, and and have been extremely lucky to be a part of such a great team, and have had the ability to get in there on the ground level and see it from my own eyes. If if you were to ask me what's going to happen, I think I think we are we will see uh, FEMA get involved, and I think you will see some temporary housing and things like that be put in place. But I think, you know, what's going on now, even flying, flying back over today, the amount of the amount of vessels that were heading to yeah. the Bahamas. I mean, even coming from Treasure um, and looking down and seeing all the vet, there was nine vessels heading into Green Turtle um, coming across there. And I mean, I saw acres and acres of debris, you know, miles out, yeah. you know, so it, it's still pretty dangerous. But my, my biggest fear is, is there's such a big push from the U.S. right now. It's if this if the stuff doesn't go to where it's supposed to go, it's not going to help the people. It's going to be held up somewhere. They'll do, they'll hand it out when they want to. But the other thing is, is, you know, we drop stuff off. And a perfect example is where we dropped off in uh, Blue Marlin Cove. And one of a few of the items we had on our payload were chainsaws. And when we flew back around, there wasn't a tree down. Right. So we we gave them two chainsaws for what? Right. So, you know, I just think sometimes there's we're doing it for the right reasons, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know that it's 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 done properly all the time. And my fear is it's just we're just going to load them up with water and all this stuff and they're going to look at it and say, you know, I don't need water. And where does that go? It's just going to sit there and there's going to be a a massive trash pile in every one of these communities there or villages or whatever they're called there. well, I think that's going to be I, the issue. I think that's valid. My my concern is that everybody has this massive outpouring of of you know desire to help right now. I just hope that that's there in five months. Yeah, you know because that's when all that water might be needed. Like, okay, now we under now we've at least cleared the runways. Yep. Now we've at least got all the bodies out now yep. at least we have suppressed any sort of civil uprising yep now there's almost. order almost well i mean <laughs> in, in five months i'm hoping yeah. now we know we need these medical supplies we need this we need money now yeah you know a lot of people are giving money right now and that's very great but money's not doing anything i mean Mm-mm. like like for us the the money that we take in for donations is that's what runs the planes and the, the helicopters right. a day, right? So like for us that it, it makes sense, but we're not we're not going out to get like we're working off of just donations from from the public. And um there's been a few organizations that have dropped off 
you know, tractor trailer loads of stuff for us with hygiene kits and MREs and a bunch of different things. We had to get an additional airplane hangar to store all that stuff. So there's been a big push of that. But again, it's got to get to the people. It's got to get to the people in need. It can't sit on an airfield. So what do you think the average Floridian and the average person who loves the Bahamas can do right now? What would you, you know, having seen this firsthand and having seen what the challenges are that we've just talked about, what do you think the appropriate response is from, is it a wait and see before I really give my, my time, my money, my, my services? Is it a wait and see? Let's, let's let some of these things get, get solved. Or? I think, I think w- with the amount of efforts that are going on now, I think for, if you, if they haven't done anything yet, it is a wait and see for them because it is, it, it's a, it's a massive response from the public right now. I mean, whether they have a home there, they have someone that takes care of them when they're there fishing, they have a favorite bartender, they have, everybody has a connection there. We all love the Bahamas. We like the vacation there. We love the fish there. Some people just like to just hang out there. It's at a point now where I think it's it's overflowed. I mean, there was 23 planes on the ground in Treasure today at the airport, 23 planes. And it was, I mean, it's just, it's chaos. So it's going to be the same way tomorrow and I'm sure Monday, you know, it'll probably get lighter through the week as people go back to work. Yeah, I think it's more of a wait and see. I mean, they need to get some infrastructure in place so the the right supplies and the right relief goods end up where they should be and benefiting people rather than just coming in and grabbing what you need and other stuff just sitting around because there's other people that may need the the supplies that are sitting yeah. there. So um well and that's kind of that's kind of the approach that we had we had our targets that we wanted. We had certain connections there and you know thank God all those people were were okay and were able they're still helping us mm-hmm. to co- coordinate all of that to make sure that it gets to those places. Well, if somebody wanted to help the cause that you're doing, like you say, you're accepting some cash and you want to see these planes and helicopters keep going back and forth. And obviously these contractors need to get paid. How would somebody um, donate to your um, cause? So they could contact the uh, Stewart Sailfish Club. So they're a 501c charity. So that's where we're running all of our uh, monetary donations from and then for uh dropping off for like right now we don't we don't need clothes um we could use you know the normal stuff tarps water canned food those kinds of things um the stewart jet center there is the uh aero club in wellington um we're also picking up from um harborside in jupiter and uh lot brothers on pga so there's there's four places, and I know White's Tackle has has helped out quite a bit. What if they somebody lives somewhere else and they just want to give some money? Yeah, so Stuart, they'd contact the Stuart Selfish okay. Club. Yeah, for yeah. monetary donations. Well, man, kudos to you for um for getting involved so early, and and you know sometimes the earliest uh, contributions mean the most to the people there. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's a team effort. I mean, if 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 you were to see the amount of people that come out, and it's uh. It's heartwarming and it's very, very impressive to see people come out and work in the heat, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours a day. And it's nonstop, nonstop at all. I, I brought I brought my son to experience just so he could see what it's like. And 20 minutes into it, he looked at me, he was soaked from head to toe, like, really, we're going to be here all day? Like, yeah, this is what it takes. Like, this is this is what you do. And you would hope that if this happens to you, that other people would do this for you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it's a it's a total team effort. And uh, I'm I'm very happy to be a part of 
that team and those guys that have put that together. So wow. kudos to those well, guys. Good for you, man. Good for all of you. And, and you know, it's, it's people like you that, that really get a lot of the, the hard work done so that, you know, a lot more work can get done. Like, yeah. like, like we talked about, but we weren't even planning on talking about this. No, we weren't. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, when we first got together, we're talking about this project that you got going on. Tell me about, tell me about your project. Yeah, the the quest for a hundred sailfish in a bay boat. Uh huh. It's uh it's something that uh these guys have been a part of, and um it'd be nice to get them get them involved Absolutely. as well if we could do that real quick. Sit down, and get get your head. Here we got two extra headsets. I don't. We don't have two extra chairs. You want to grab a chair out there? Okay, cool. So again, if you hear all this noise that's going on, we're at the we're we're doing this podcast right before LunkerCon, and we uh, have. Some people walking in and out of the yeah the room that we're in right now. LunkerCon's a great event. Yeah, that's my first one. Yeah, never been. Yeah, I've I've gone to three. It's an excellent event. Yeah, so, yeah, it's a a good place. Like before, for myself, before I really got involved on the social media side um, with fishing and everything else, it was a great place to meet those people that you know that you felt you felt like. You know, you always saw them. Let's scoot over here so we can get into that sure. into that frame there. Yeah. Here, pick this up. So what do you think is special about LunkerCon? I, I just think it's, you know, anybody can come and meet somebody that they're watching on Instagram that's, you know, either catching a lot of fish or they think is someone that's, uh, you know, I don't I want to use the word special, but, you know. God, how I mean, things have changed. You just said you could watch some, you could meet somebody that you watch on Instagram. Yeah. Do you realize that? That you just yeah. said that? <laughs> well, like, I mean, for, for the older guys, I mean, I'm, I'm 46. So, I mean, like for someone like Hunter, I mean, Hunter, that, that social media is the only thing. I mean, I used to wake up on Saturday mornings and watch Jerry McInnes. Right. Me too. So, and Flip Pallet and people like that. So, um, this is a place like you have guys like yourself coming. I used to watch you and Rich all the time. Peter Miller will be here. George Gods. I mean, that's a, a personal friend of mine now. But just people that you always kind of looked up to in the in the fishing industry that you see all the time. And I mean, even Jeff, I yeah. mean, let's face it. I mean, Jeff was for the long time. He was the social media king. Oh, he is, still what, is. At what he was doing. Super early adopter. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, to just walk in and meet him and these guys are super down to earth and you can have a conversation with them. I think for some people that's that's special to them. I think they get a good feeling of, wow. You know, I just met that guy and I see him all the time and they make that connection. And I think it just builds a builds a, a good bond. For well, that's people. cool. Well, I'm glad so. that we uh, that we got this set up because I've been really, really interested for a couple of reasons about about your quest for 100. So a quest for 100 sales in a bay boat. So what possibly made you think that this was a good idea? <laughs> I mean, it's 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 funny. And, and, and Hunter Hunter might take his headset off and leave. But. This, I mean, this all started, uh, so I, I used to run a big sport fish boat and that's all we did was marlin fish up and down the coast. Uh, we're originally from Cape May, New Jersey. And, uh, so we fished all the big money tournaments and everything over the years. But when we moved to Florida, you know, I, I was excited about bass fishing. I was like, wow, hmm. you know, you can catch five, six, 10 pound bass all the time on these golf courses. And Hunter used to, to tell me all the time, you know, you're wasting your time and let me get you out here and get you saltwater fishing. He's sketching big snook and chasing tarpon and all this stuff. And I never had time for it. So one day I gave him the time and he took me to his favorite bulkhead and seawall. And in a few minutes, uh, I had a big 30 inch, 32 inch snook on that I eventually lost, but I was like, okay, 
we get rid of the duck boat, we'll get a flats boat. And we started, uh, started the whole inshore fishing. And then, um, one day I was just out kind of just tooling around by myself. And, uh, I was like, you know what? It's flat today. It was in the summer. I'm going to push offshore. I pushed offshore kind of trolling around and had caught a sail. And a second later I had caught another sail and I was like, whoa, I could do this on a little boat. So we started chasing sailfish on our flats boat. We had an 18 foot Maverick and it really started there. But, and I got Tommy and his family involved and we could only go on, on flat days. And, um, you know, we stuffed the bale a few times on the yeah. Maverick, which <laughs> scared everybody, but we would, we would, we would catch a lot of sail. So when we upgraded to a bigger boat, obviously it made it that much easier for us to, you know, fish offshore a lot more than just fish inshore. I don't know. It was like in December, I guess. We just had a had a good a good December, a really good January. And in February, I was just thinking back like, wow, how many have I even caught? And how many could I catch? You know, we were having six, seven, eight days where we would get, you know, we'd catch eight out of nine bites or eight out of 10 bites. And uh, just in there with all the big sport fish boats and everything. And I was like, let's do this. So in February, we actually started keeping track. Okay. I said, let's try to catch 100. And uh, everybody got excited about it. And that was our, our little quest to go do that. And, you know, I mean, you're talking about fishing in a bay boat. We're not kite fishing. We don't have outriggers. You know, we fish three rods. We bump troll with a little dredge. And sometimes I'll bring a big dredge depending on, you know, what kind of day it is. And uh, we've just basically documented every one of the fish that we've caught from, you know, we're up to 93 right now. And we probably would have reached, we would have reached a hundred if, uh, if the storm didn't come through. Mm, yeah, probably. Yeah. So what, tell me about the first one. Uh, the first one was, uh, it was, uh, it was actually first couple. Um, we had caught a, a, a double that day and it was, it was funny enough. It wasn't with either of these two guys <laughs> on the boat, but, um, we had, we had caught a double with a, a friend of mine, Trevor. He was like, is, you know, is this happening? And I was like, yeah. And then that day we ended up catching, I think we caught four. And it was the next day when I got Tommy and his, his dad and we went out and we caught another four. We were up to eight in no time. And then a hunter would start waking up and coming out with us. And we just started kind of racking them up. But it got to the point where I, I was obsessed with it. You know, I would, I would be out there like, guys, you have to keep quiet. I have a conference call. And I'd be on a conference call for an <laughs> hour while they're still fishing. And they'd be like, we have one on. I'm like, okay, just do what you have to do. Just get it. <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I mean, we, you know, there, I mean, there was a lot of challenges. I mean, we've, because we've take a, try to get a, a variety of people to come out with us. We've lost a lot of fish, obviously. And, uh, I think we're probably 93 for, I have to, I have to check my notebook for facts, but I think we're 93 for like 138 or something like that for the it's season. Not terrible. It's not terrible, but there's been some mistakes where you just go, Oh, really? Did that just happen? And a lot of times that happens when there's only two of us. I mean, him and I've had uh, times where I've gotten bit. He's gotten bit. Next thing you know, lines are one's over the other. We don't have the boat and gear yet. One saws the other one off, and we lose. We lose one, catch the other, or just tangles. And Tommy and I've had nightmares because as we as even though we were we were basically uh, recording everyone in the beginning, it was just kind of like GoPro and whatever we could do, cell phone stuff. And then we really got into let's buy some real cameras. Let's do this the right way. And, uh, you know, we were swimming with some and letting them go. We just did all kinds of stuff. So it became real challenging when Tommy, uh, he's always been into photography, but when he really was like, okay, I'm not fishing, I'm just here 
to film all of this and take pics and do my part. And I would have one on and we're trying to get that fish so he could get the shots that he's looking for and you'll get, get another bite or, you know, whatever was going on at the same time. It just would be, uh, it, it was difficult there for, for a while, you know, without, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It became a challenge for us to, to go after that, uh, that 100 fish. But, you know, for me, it was also, I wanted to do it, do something that was different. Um, we got to the point where we were, we would chase the big snook all the time. And we, uh, knock on wood, we got pretty good at catching fish that were 40 inches or, or bigger. And, uh, we just wanted something different. And, uh, I wanted something that was, you know, more of a real challenge to go out Mm -hmm. there in this little bay boat and, and catch some, catch some sails and then try to catch a hundred. So at what point do you start looking at what you're doing and you've caught some fish and you're like, well, let's upgrade the cameras. Let's, let's put this on social media. Let's make this a real thing. So it, uh, you know, really was, uh, I guess when Tommy got his first real good camera and we started posting some, some, like we went from, you know, iPhone pictures and we really jumped to that next level to where they were like quality pictures where magazines were comment, commenting on them and other people were coming out of the woodwork to contact us to where we started getting a, um, a, a real presence of people just really watching what was going on. And, you know, people would get DMs like, hey, you know, I'm keyed into this, you know, I'm really rooting for you guys. I know mm-hmm. you could do this. And I, I would say to Tommy or I would say to Hunter, I would say, wow, really? People are really paying attention to this. And it it went from, I think when we started to get past 50, we saw just a just a boom of people wanting to get involved in it. Like, I want to come catch one with you guys. I want to do this with you. And even from like, uh, I would say, even from like a sponsorship level, we saw people coming out like, you know, we want to talk to you about wearing our stuff or we want to give you some coolers or we want to give you some new sunglasses mm. or, you know, they, they wanted to get involved in what we were doing it because we weren't going out like, look at us. We're the best out there. We, you know, it's always stay humble, always try to keep it with the family and uh, just go out there and grind. And, and just every day, some days we come back, we don't catch anything, but we'll still say we, we didn't catch anything today. You know, I mean, it, it's part of fishing. But the days that you do get them and the days that are good, it, it, it makes those days that you haven't caught something all worth it, you know. So, but yeah, I would say probably right about at 50 fish is when things really started skyrocketing for us. And and even even for him, you know, um, getting picked up with a lot of people reposting a lot of his sailfish picks and some of the stuff that he's been doing is uh, – has been really good. I mean, even we've done some underwater stuff. We've done a little bit of everything. So our plan is when we get to, um, get to a hundred, we'll, we'll put a 15 minute clip together. We're going to do a, like a release party where we'll release the video and invite everybody that's been a part of it. So I have everybody documented which fish they've caught. And so just kind of make it a, a, a big thing towards the end there. So we're really looking forward to finishing it out. I don't know where we'll end up for the year because we're not going to, we're not going to stop, but you know, Hunter's going to catch the 100 fish. That's been the the plan the whole Man, time. The pressure, put the pressure on him. Is that pressure, Hunter? Not really. Not really. What? How many? How many of the hunt of the ones that you've caught so far have you caught? You think? You're, I don't know how many you think. Like 36, I think, so far. Yeah, you you and Tommy are are very close in in what you guys have caught. We have a lot of guys that have caught you know one and two. 
you guys can roll your eyes and, and make faces at me, but I think I pay attention the most. So I've probably I've, I've caught the most. I mean, these guys are worried about snacks and naps and if their camera lens is fogging up. That's, and uh, I just like driving the boat. <laughs> driving, driving the boat's the most fun. Yeah. yeah. When we have a fish on, it's pretty fun. Yeah. And you do, you do good running them down. That's for sure. You do good. So where's your, what, if you were to blue sky, like where this goes, um, you, you catch a hundred and you don't stop there. What, what are you, this time next year, what would it look like? So we've talked about that. Like, you know, what would be our next quest? You know, do we go and try to catch, I don't know, 10 on fly. I mean, we, we've, we've thrown a bunch of ideas around and a lot of people, it's funny on social media. A lot of people are commenting on that also, like what's next. What are you guys doing next? You know, somebody said the other day, oh, catch a hundred snook. I'm like, oh, no, we're not doing that. We do that all the time. We can catch five or six on the way out the inlet. So um, we, we are blessed in, in where we live up there in Stewart. And we can do, you know, you can tarpon fish, snook fish, and then go offshore and catch a couple. catch a hundred snook in a sport fisher. Yeah, well, that would be a little different. <laughs> be, be hard to stuff that under the 10 cent bridge. <laughs> but uh, so we haven't really decided exactly what, our next quest will be, but we want to do something different, something different than, you know, what other people are doing. So, um, we're supposed to go to, uh, Australia at the end of the year and chase, um, the micro black Marlin on the flats in Fraser Island. Really? So we're going to do, do some stuff there and do some filming there. So that should be an epic trip, but we're, you know, we're generally going in that direction. Um, if you ask me today, what's the end game? I, I don't know. I feel like we're kind of, we have some, some goals and some plans, but I feel like we're kind of just kind of building that road as we're, as we go along because, you know, from day to day, it changes. It really does, you know? Um, and sometimes it's just a, a DM from somebody or it's a phone call or it's a, you know, shake someone's hand and they introduce you to this guy and they really like what you're doing and it just opens up doors for you. So we're not really sure exactly where, we're going or what we're doing but we're going to do something oh that's so, cool yeah that's cool and tommy what about your uh your photography uh were you a photographer before this or is this kind of the it was uh no actually so that's what i asked for for christmas so <laughs> i wouldn't even call myself a photographer i just have a nice camera and uh he's a I, computer geek so he learns stuff yeah, quick. i picked up on it kind of quick um that's what i asked for for christmas and i i got that sony a7 ii and I couldn't get it to catch focus quick enough on sales jumping. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll, I'll need to upgrade already. So, and Tommy's fortunate in the fact that his mom is a, a huge supporter of what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she works very hard. She does very well for herself. And if we even mention something, she's like, Tommy's got to stop her from going and getting it for us. Yeah, she's a big, like, she just wants to see us. Like, she gets excited to see all this. Yeah. And then she wants to feel like she won't go out offshore. She won't go out the inlet on a boat. So, like, her way of being involved is like, oh, you need a lens for your camera? Here you go. I'm like, that's crazy, but thank you. Yeah. Right on. That sounds cool. Yeah. Now he's got my older camera, which is not old. But, yeah. um, and so then we, I have the newer one. Well, we'll use that one for recording, and then he takes all the photographs with his. And now Hunter's learning how to use that one, too. That, I'm sure that'll expand into something else there as well with yeah. uh, where we go with that. Because, uh, you know, the GoPros do well. But, I mean, I think really to get to, like, the, the stuff that you guys do, that's a whole other level. But that in-between stuff, like, we don't want to come out and be YouTube guys. 
we just nothing against those guys. It's just it's not something that we we want to do. We want to continue to just do these odd type of uh, you know journeys and 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 kind of go in those different directions than what you know what the common or the norm is. You know. So who so far has joined you on this quest for a hundred? So one of your close buddies, Ryan Nitz. Yeah. So we caught uh, we caught his uh, girlfriend uh, her first fish. And then uh, Ryan's been on a couple trips, and every time we get a sail on, he refuses to crank it in, even though he's never caught one, because he wants to take pictures. And so Tommy's got a lot of nice pictures of the back of Ryan's head, <laughs> because Ryan is little and fast, and he's always in there getting getting the shot. So uh, so Ryan knits. Um, uh, Carter wants to. We, so what we've done, we've done it mostly. Um, friends like Tommy's Tommy's father's been on a bunch. Hunter's been on a bunch. Um, there's a kid, uh, Aiden, um, who is Stuart Ways up in Stuart. He does some some video stuff. He's caught a few with us. A guy, uh, everybody knows uh, Topwater Trev from his crazy stories, but he's caught a couple. There's been a few people that, that have come out and caught some fish with us, but it's generally been this group here. But what we wanted to do is the last five, we wanted to have a few special people come. So George Gods is going to come catch one with us, um, even though he's not thrilled about catching sailfish, but he's going to come catch one anyway. Carter wants to catch one. I mean, he at dinner one night, he asked me if uh, if he could catch the last one. And I'm like, no, you cannot <laughs> catch the last one because I know what you're going to tell me it's got to be on your boat. And I'm like, Hunter's got to catch the last one. The silent captain's got to get the very, very last one because that's that will be very meaningful for me. We, You know, we asked you, Tom, if you wanted to catch yeah, one I'd love with to. us too. Uh, we, so, were, we were hoping that it was going to happen on this trip, but... Yeah. Uh, Nature had a way of yeah changing the plans on that one. You know the other the other side of this is we're not in any rush either, right? It's um, we have the rest of the year. We really like to get it done in the next the next couple of weeks. Once the I think the Bahamas stuff kind of slows down a little bit, but yeah, I mean that would be that would be the the rollout. Um, I mean Tommy's dad has caught a bunch with us, and uh, my I wife think, caught what? Yeah, your four, wife has caught three or four. Tommy's wife has caught three or four. Um, I think it's notable to say Tom's dad. Uh, broke his ribs one day. Oh, we were catching bait, and he turned around. I told him, not 15 minutes before that, I said, "Big Tom, I said, whatever you do, whatever goes on today, just make sure you hold on." I said, "It's it's big out there today." So we get out there, and Matt doesn't drive yeah, very no, slow. I don't know how to drive slow, but we were actually sitting still catching bait, and there was this big sport fish boat coming in to the bait spot, and Big Tom turned around and said, "Hey guys, look at this!" And I don't know, he did this weird turn with his arm. And we went over a swell and came down and it rolled him over and he ended up hitting his ribs on the, the step up in the boat, knocked the wind out of him. And he felt like he was, he was okay. And he knew he was hurt, but he felt like he was okay. He went on to catch two sails that day. And with then broken ribs. Didn't with come broken, in. With broken ribs and then asked for the ambulance on the way in. So. <laughs> said, I'm, I think I'm going to need an ambulance. No, he was quietly said, Tommy, have them meet us at the boat ramp. Really? I was going to have you drive me there, but have them meet me at the boat ramp. I convinced him to drive. Though. Yeah. He, my dad was a firefighter paramedic and so was I. Yeah. So I had, I basically just looked at him and talked to him and I was like, you're fine. I'm going to drive you. But yeah, he fished all day with broken ribs. So. Yeah. Yeah. And your dad, I mean, your dad's built like a Sherman tank too. Yeah. So he's, if he's there's any dude. one person that could do it, and I'll him. tell you what though, if you got somebody that is trained as a, as a, as a paramedic that's telling you they need a, an ambulance, I yeah. would be like well, listen, Tommy, listening a little bit. Tommy checked him out before we went. I, oh, I yeah. figured he that was, was it. I was I 
I cranked my sabiki up and I was like prepared to, that was it. We were going in for the day because I, it was a pretty good hit that he took. And look, the look on his face was, yeah, that he was, he was definitely in some pain and, and he got that first fish on and we have that whole fight on video. And I mean, he just didn't show, he didn't show anything other than excitement to, to get yeah. that fish in. So, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been so far, it's been, it's been exciting. It's, I don't know, we fish three days a week sometimes, and then we go a week or two if I'm traveling or if Tommy's in Georgia or, or out catching golden trout in California or something, <laughs> we have to kind of put things on hold. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, it's been exciting, and the support of everybody uh, from the social media platforms just been, it's been awesome. Hmm. It's actually been awesome because we just figured it wasn't, you know, it wasn't going to be anything, you know, what, because, what's the best social media platform, Instagram? Yeah. Instagram. What's your Instagram? Uh, one more bite seven, two. Okay. Yeah. And, um, do you do anything else? Facebook or anything else? Yeah. Facebook, just Matt George, Facebook. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I have a captain Matt George page also. So, so what, what do you think your cutoff is for going out sail fishing when the, with the weather? There is no, there cutoff. is none. Yeah. we'll let hunter answer that there is no cut off <laughs> look at his face there is none <laughs> what's what is what's the biggest stuff that you guys have been out doing this particular quest i mean we've been in our eight foot 18 foot flats boat in like probably six foot six foot at eight seconds though. Nah, that's six crazy. foot or like five maybe so yeah we push it sometimes i mean i mean let's face it tom you know if it's blowing 25 25 knots out of north they're gonna chew we yeah. have to be there yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, I, I mean, I guess I have to ask, I mean, I know you guys know what you're doing and everything, but a bay boat is a bay boat and a bay boat is not an offshore boat. And so it takes, it takes a captain that's been out there in a really big boat thinking, dang, I'd like to have a, even a really bigger boat than this. And understanding that there is a point to where not only is this not safe, it's not smart either. Right. So, I mean, I, I just have to ask, like, do you ever think that you have a responsibility to tell people about what's safe and why you're making this choice and why you're doing this in a bay boat? Because obviously if you catch a hundred sailfish out of a bay boat, other people are going to want to do the same thing. Yeah. And they're thinking, well, I could save $150,000 if I just get this bay boat instead of getting the other boat yeah. that I want. Yeah, I have some guys in some sport fish boats that are, are close friends of mine that tell me to not fish next to them because they'll be out of jobs if, if I keep doing this. <laughs> so, well, I mean, there's there's that. But yeah. have you had any anybody ask you that? Like, at what point um, do you say? I, so I've had a few guys like out of the Stewart area that have asked me, you know, like, how am I doing it? What do I think are ideal conditions? You know, those types of things. But as far as like, you know, from a responsibility standpoint, I mean, I've, I've had, I've had my captain's license since 08, you know, I've run really big boats in lots of different conditions and, you know, out of New Jersey, I mean, we run three and a half hours in one direction just to get there sometimes, you know, depending on where we're going. So I have a pretty good sense of when I'm, when it's okay for me to be there and when it's not okay for me to be there. And I mean, even given this, these last couple of months in the summer, you know, we would get chased in or chased around by storms and, you know, as soon as we would see lightning or we'd check our phones, I mean, we're constantly updating what, what's going on with the weather to make sure that we don't get caught out there. If it looks like it's not going to be suitable for us to go, we just don't go. We'll stay inside and yeah. sell fish or tarpon fish. Yeah. The only reason, I mean, I don't have any doubts that you guys know what you're doing. Obviously, you've got a lot of experience, but, you know, you just take, take an inexperienced boater 
that thinks, man, we could just go right out there and catch sailfish in this yeah. little boat. This is going to be great. And they don't know when it's not safe to be out there, right. when it's not wise to be out there. And they don't have the skills necessary to run the boat in those big seas without taking multiple you know, waves right. over the bow. I just wondered if anybody had ever mentioned that, like, or you start seeing other bay boats out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, out of Stewart um, in the summer months, you know, we can catch sails anywhere from 55 feet to 90 feet. Right. That's usually the best spot. And you're talking, you know, three miles to, yeah, that's to no six miles. Deal. So it's not really, a, it's not a big deal. And you will see a lot of bay boats in that range. The winter months, you don't, you don't see a lot of bay boats out there. You know, you'll see your bigger center consoles and, and those style boats um, that are out there fishing. And, you know, those guys are all experienced as well. Right. Of course. So, but I mean, you know, we've been out there and it's, it's been favorable. I mean, we can't run like we would normally want to run, but once we get there, it's, it's completely fine for us to fish that we want to, the way we want to fish and it's stable and it's, it's completely safe. You know, we go out there and catch some fish too. So <laughs> sounds like it. That's sounds the, like you're catching quite part. a lot of them. I mean, we like to fun give part. him a hard time about, he knows one speed and he doesn't want to come in, but he, I, I mean, when I, I've, I've never felt like even really nervous on the boat with, I mean, he's a, he's a great captain and he knows like if he sees the, the clouds coming in, he's, he might push you and be like, let's just do this drift one more time. But he is going to come back in because he, he knows his limitations. And I think really that's all that it is. Like if you're, if you have an 18 foot boat and you've been drive, you don't have your captain's license or you've been on a boat for a year. Yeah. Probably not a great idea to go out there. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he's, he's a, he's a great yeah, captain. Well, so. Definitely wouldn't recommend an 18 foot boat. No, for but, sure. Yeah. Not. Well, I mean, you know, every boat's got its limits and yeah. you've got, you know, you, you, you get out there and it's, it's, uh, it's too much and you just need to know what, I mean, a, a prudent yeah. captain always knows what the limits are and well, knows well, even, when you're pushing them. And like, we are pushing the limits here and this is something that's on the edge of what we should be doing. Yeah. Right. But you know. Sounds like this is a little different. There'll be some times where these guys will look at me like I'm crazy and, you know, they'll know that I'm either really far north past the inlet or I'm really far south past the inlet and they don't understand why I'm still running, you know, north and south. And sometimes it's just to get a, a favorable sea condition right. to come in. Yeah, of course. And, and a lot of times, you know, they'll look at me as they're getting soaked as we're, you know, trudging back up sea or whatever. But then when I turn it and we start heading in towards the inlet, they'll... They get a better idea of oh now now I see what's going on here and we have a much better ride on the way the way in so I mean let's face it a twenty two foot boat still a twenty two foot boat that's so, that's exactly right I mean it's a well built boat but it's still a twenty two foot boat very well built yeah yeah so uh, this time next year what are you hoping to accomplish like you said that there's something that you don't know is next but as far as the hundred sailfish thing goes obviously you're hoping to wrap this up and then are you going to like put together a little series or something about so, so, the, the so, quest for 100 so what i think we're going to do we're definitely going to do the 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 video on the quest for 100 but then i think we'll probably have we're probably like we were talking um to you about waypoint and some other things there i think we will do a quest for like we're we're going to go to australia and do um the black marlins and then uh tommy was just out in California, hiking in the mountains, catching these little hard to catch golden trout. And, um, cool. So we we're talking about some crossovers too, right? Like I'm not a big, um, fly fisherman. I'll be the first one to say it. You can laugh at me because, 
he sees me in the street trying to cast my fly rod and then he comes out and he's like a well-oiled machine <laughs> and uh i have line tangled all around my head so i give it 30 seconds and i put it away and i'm back to my spinner rod or my bait caster we'll get you there yeah i know you guys will but we're talking about maybe some crossover too like do some things that gets me out of my element and i'll get some things that'll get these guys out of their element too and and just see how all those synergies work together right on so awesome well if people want to support what you're doing and want to uh want to follow along where where all do they go um they can follow us at uh Fins and Fly Creative on Instagram, Silent Captain on Instagram, and One More Bite Seven Two, and then Tommy's other Instagram is Boston Inked. That's my uh, what she doesn't like, right? Yeah, <laughs> I read that when I was like twenty two, and I'm kind of I don't I'm kind of like I'll tell, tell them the story why. Well, I'm a Boston fan, and I'm tattooed. I'm always wearing fishing attire, so you can't see I'm covered in tattoos, but I am. So yeah, I just struggle with changing the name. Yeah, Tommy you should do something. With beard. that, yeah, beard. What was your first tattoo? Um, I got a firefighter tattoo on my right shoulder when I was 19, 18 or 19. And then as it goes, you get one. And yeah, well, I don't know how it goes, I haven't gotten the first one, so I've, that's that was going to be the next question. Don't so when it. you when you get one, then is it just super easy to get another one? Yeah. It, I think it becomes easier because you get, it is, it, I wouldn't say it's an addiction, but you just like, I think you get, it's like with anything, like you pick up a fly rod, you catch something on fly and then you're like, oh, now I'm really into this. It's the same thing, but these are just permanent. So, yeah. So when you, when you start with tattoos, so I'm, I'm very curious about this. So you start with tattoos and you, where was, where was the first one? My right shoulder. On your right shoulder. And so then when you're thinking about the second one, are you thinking, Okay, I want to create something that tells a story on my whole body, or is it just totally random? I think you have some storytelling. You do, yeah, yeah, well, you have, do now, but yeah. I'm talking about the process. Like the second one, you're like, okay, where does that one go? I got so I just had my right shoulder, and then since I was wanting to be become a fireman, I didn't want to go below like a short sleeve shirt. Okay. So I, I just got like um, like a koi and some other Japanese stuff on this arm, and then I was like, well. Now I feel really heavy on my right side. <laughs> I got to do my left side and, <laughs> and even it out. That's yeah. what I was going to say. I was going to say, well, you get two, three on one side, then then you got to start getting them on the other side. But once you're covered like like I am, I mean, you could really, like this leg, I could put, I know people can't see this, but I could put anything in there and it's going to look like it doesn't matter. You know, like I have a mosquito on this leg just to fill in a gap. My tattoo artist, I was like, just go ahead and put something in there, Florida related, whatever. And I can't uh, believe you're you're announcing that. <laughs> what Florida related? He's like, got it, mosquito going exactly. right here. Yeah, the size of a bird. Yep, yep. So, but it makes you know, if I just got a random mosquito on my leg, people would be like, dude, what's up with that? But once you're covered, yeah, they start to not have meaning. You just find things you like and and do that. And it only takes three to where now now it's just i think so yeah i guess on. it's different for everyone but for me i was just like when i ask matt like when i do something i'm all in on it so i was yeah. just like man all right like a freight train mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and uh i got I'm approval from my though. fire chief to do my lower sleeves once i actually got hired he said go for it i was like oh you don't know what you just did yeah did you so, do it mm-hmm. yeah Let's i got see. full sleeves on both arms and my chest and my ribs both my legs. So that I, I listened to a podcast with um, David Lee Roth, and he he I didn't realize this, but he's covered from here to here, all the way. Wow! Mm-hmm. Not you know where you can see his shirt, but he called it a suit 
or what do you call it? What is that yeah, called? It's a suit. A suit, mm-hmm. and you're t- completely covered top, top to bottom, both sides. I didn't. Yeah, he, I think he does have his back. I won't do my back because I like to see what I'm I'm sitting through and paying for. Yeah, um, that's just my preference. But yeah, a lot of guys will do that full suit thing. Yeah, he yeah. called it I'm something. Maybe that. he called it a tuxedo. I don't know. I don't know. He called it something. So what about the sun? Doesn't the sun, I mean, a lot of people that have a lot of tattoos are concerned about the sun um, fading them. And that's uh, why you went with traditional, right? Yeah, I did that traditional. Like, I mean, this one is pretty detailed. It took a long time. It cost a lot of money. So, but it's always covered. I mean, when I'm in the sun, like everybody else should be sunblock or cover up. I mean, that sun is not, not very forgiving. So I'm always covered. You know, usually I'm in shorts. Ask but, any dermatologist. Right, yeah. How long until um, face tattoos are as, as common as leg tattoos? I hope never, man. Never, really? Never yeah. in my house. I, dude, I, it's happening. I just saw a beautiful girl walk by, and she had her whole neck covered right here. She, she, yeah. she is. I see her right there. <laughs> yeah. My wife and my mom would uh, would murder me if I got yeah. my neck. Really? Mm-hmm. I, I think we're five years away from face tattoos being as common as, as uh, one on your arm. Really? Yeah. I see it all the time. It's creeping up. Yeah. It's creeping up. Like it starts mm-hmm. with Conor McGregor, like a little bit just sticking through there. Mm-hmm. And then next thing you know, it kind of wraps around the neck. Next thing you know, it's a little bit behind the ear. And then, you know, then you start seeing. Yeah. Around it, the it, eye. Yeah. I have one behind my ear, but you can't, you can't ever see it unless and when I get a haircut, you can see it, but it's not very visible. I yeah. mean, Conor McGregor is a multi, multi millionaire. He, he doesn't ever have to worry about working in the professional. Yeah. So yeah, if you're 18 years old, probably don't get your face tattooed. It's not yeah. a good idea. Don't get well, any. Don't get any tattoo there, Silent Captain. <laughs> the Silent <laughs> Captain, you you haven't sat on the table. Here in that, name. I mean, if I would was going to get one, I would want it to have like have meaning. Right. Yeah, that's what I think about. Like, I don't have anything against tattoos at all. I just think that I don't stick with anything quite long enough. Like somebody would be like, "Hey, what does that mean?" And I'm like, nah, "I don't know. I thought it was a really big deal a while back, but I, I just." It's, it's nothing. My tattoos are that way, Tom. That's why. <laughs> really, you have you. tattoos? Yeah, that's why. I oh, he's got some sweet tattoos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but I all mine were like seventeen, and when I was seventeen or eighteen uh-huh. years old, and same thing. Like, every, so did you tell Hunter not it? to get tattoos? Absolutely. Or are are you listening, or does that mean I'm it's game? Yeah, on. I haven't. I haven't really thought about all it. All he has honestly. to do is look at mine, and then he'll be like, "Yeah, you're right." I'm you should go get tattoos. the same tattoo that he has. That <laughs> smiley face. <laughs> If you want to get something someday because it's meaningful, then you do that. Or like I think the the story for me, I think the storytelling tattoos are not bad. You know, you see guys that are like maybe they're a merchant marine and they're this and they're that. And, you know, it just kind of flows down their arm or whatever. I think those types of tattoos are okay. I mean, you know, the I mean, the meaningful ones of, you know, a picture of your dog. I mean, I don't know. It's I wouldn't do that. But, you know, I guess other people would. Not just super old school, like mom on one arm and a battleship across the chest. It's like Tommy's got some stuff like that. You got a battleship? <laughs> Not a battleship. What do you no. have on your chest though? It's a, have, like a mermaid or something, right? Yeah. So my, like he was talking about my mom works hard. She does some, I don't tell a long story, but she, yeah, don't, we don't she, have time for that. Yeah. She, co- she goes into some bad neighborhoods and, and she's got a, she's not a cop, but she does just, she works really hard. She's, she's awesome. She's, she's a very tough lady. So yeah. I wanted to get a mermaid tattoo for mom. She's like, don't make it girly. So now I have a mermaid with a hammerhead shark head instead of a mermaid head. Nice. And uh, it says mom. And then I got a shark on this leg for dad. So I have some of the, I like that traditional stuff. Yeah. 
But you also did MMA fighting for a long time too, mm-hmm. so that some of that all ties into some of the stuff Got that my you boxer were doing and all that. Yeah. yeah. Right on. So, how did you get into MMA? You were uh, what was your what's your intro to that? I was at my buddy's house one day. He's he was a fireman, and he had the mats in his garage, and I was just there hanging out. And they were doing jujitsu, and I was like, "Man, that looks like fun." And I went to a training class with them at American Top Team, and after that day, man, one day. And it's you were training an American hooked. top team. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, that's the real deal. Yeah, yeah, it was. It's a. I mean, that's a great gym. And again, like you said earlier about all in, it's it, that was pretty much all in from. That so, did you on. have any wrestling background or anything? No, I didn't at all. Like I, and I no played boxing soccer. Background? Uh, I had no. I did boxing in high school. Okay, um, just for fun, and but that was only for like six months. But the jujitsu is what hooked me. The jujitsu is like, I don't know. It is probably the only thing that's more addictive to me than fly fishing like i would lay in bed at night and think about that all night it's like um like chess like you're just like a physical chess match um and i think you'll find anybody that does jujitsu is like all in and they don't ever stop i mean it's it's a great great yeah i'm really interested in it because my sport was always wrestling and uh you know i still go to wrestling practice with the kids and stuff but it's becoming harder and harder and harder to wrestle with a 18 year old yeah. state champion mm-hmm. without just being so sore the next day that it's, it's really hard. I mean, those guys are assassins, not like there's not assassins at American top team, but it does seem like jujitsu is a little bit more um, conducive to staying on the mat as you age a little. Yeah. Right. It's great for cardio and flexibility, um, that kind of stuff. But the, the wrestling guys, I mean, you transition to jujitsu, like, immediately i mean well i think that i mean i don't know that i would necessarily do this but i just think that a lot of wrestlers have already made the transition between folk style wrestling to greco-roman or folk style to freestyle and then go back and forth through those different stages so it i don't know it seems like that's a natural transition for wrestlers and if you look at the ufc these days the wrestlers are on top very dominant well i mean you know you'll, you'll you'll have times when when there's some different fighters in there um that are not not wrestlers but right now the champions are are wrestlers except dc just got beat who's gonna win the fight tonight what is it could be poirier tonight yeah. man it's hard because poirier is you know home team he's he's top team guy but uh khabib's wrestling man so he have is, you trained with him he came to top team after i left um i moved to georgia in 2009 and he came after that okay um i've met him once or twice i mean he's a, he's a now he's a wrestler, right? Dude. NCAA. Yeah. He is, but Khabib is Khabib has great wrestling, yeah. and I don't. But he's Sambo. Sambo. Yeah, that's what uh, Fedor was, I think. Right, and um, that's a dangerous and dirty yeah. freaking wrestling. That's yeah. what that is. That's learning how to do that from a young age, and then he wrestled bears, and I don't know. I like Khabib, but uh, wrestled bears. But I'm definitely for Dustin. For you. I want Dustin to win for sure, but I, it's hard, man. I mean, when I watched Khabib like destroy Connor, I was like, "How?" So I don't know. I can't doubt. You can't. I can't like uh, sleep on Khabib because he's he's a great fighter too. Oh, but I want. I would before he even fought Connor. I thought that that I, I mean, with the fights that I had seen with him, I thought that he his cardio was through the roof. Like he he had a pace that. I mean, when you know what that's like to mat return somebody like that and just stay on top of them and stay, I mean, that takes 
a tremendous amount of, of cardio to, to have that pace like that. And his pace is just, it's incredible. Poirier has that same kind of style though. Like, I I don't think, I think typically where someone's going to lose to Khabib is when they're, they're toast cardio because they're so worried about that takedown. Right. And, and then it'll take you down over and yeah. over and over again. They just get tired. But like people like uh, Poirier it pushes the pace. Um, Nate Diaz. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that right. guy's that guy doesn't stop. So, but yeah, it's jujitsu and but MMA Max is Holloway great. also is known for his incredible pace, and Poirier handled he, him. Yeah, pretty easily. I think looks like to me. Yeah, but. Um, there's there was. That, that's it. Yeah, I saw so, it. I've seen it. another one earlier, too. It's Did a palm you? front, I think. There was one like, right there. On the back, back on the back of the neck. All right. Is that your speed? Silent <laughs> Captain? No? The Silent <laughs> Captain. Where did you get the name Silent Captain? I can't imagine why. Um. Do you want me to tell it? Know. You tell it. You know so, it. Didn't somebody say it? No. I don't know. So, when uh, when we start, when Hunter got me started with Instagram, um, Instagram was like, you know, he was like, well, we're catching these fish. You need to be on Instagram. The only people that look at Facebook are old people. I'm like, well, I am old. He was like, no, 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 you need to need to do this. So it kind of all started for us as just like, you know, we were just kind of getting into it. And uh, I remember the one day at, at the boat ramp, you know, we saw uh, George Gods was there picking up a charter and Hunter's like, look, 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 there's that guy. There's that guy that's on TV. And I was like, oh, I'll go talk to him. He's like, no, 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 don't talk to him. I was like, why? That guy puts his pants on the same way I do. <laughs> You know, I mean, for what I do for my line of work, I'm used to talking to people, you know. And uh, so I went over and spoke to him for a little bit. And, you know, he was the normal at the first time you meet someone like that. And he did his thing. And so we fished uh, actually Jeff's last time he had um, uh, the Happy Bait tournament, the Snook tournament. And it was being held in Stewart. Um, we went and fished that. Hunter won that. What nice. a 47-inch Snook. Yeah, knocked me off the board like three times, made me work hard to try to get back on the board, but he ended up winning. And uh, so George happened to be at that event. And I was like, oh, there's that guy again. So I went over and talked to him again, and we just basically kind of hit it off. So all of that kind of progressed on, and we started fishing. And, like, George and I becoming friends is what landed us to get sponsored by Yozori. And he was always joking around about, oh, you're nobody and fishing until you get some sponsors. So the one day I come in with this big Yozuri box and drop it down in front of his friends. And he's like, what's this? I was like, open it up. And he's like, where'd you get all this from? I was like, from Yozuri, right? <laughs> and uh, so it all started there. Well, we, uh, George had asked me to come fish with him. Uh, one day he's like, hey, we need to go to one of your plug spots. Yozuri's got this new LC minnow and we have to catch some snook on it. It was during the mullet run. He's like, can you go with me? I was like, sure. I showed up normal clothes and I think my fourth or fifth snook that I had caught, the the camera guy or the the main guy that was on board the boat said that a camera guy, did you bring another shirt? And the guy was like, yeah, he's like, put it on that. And so that kind of, that kind of just started there for us. So him and I really started fishing hard at that point. And uh, we would have like epic days where we would catch 44s and 45s and all these big snook. And I'd always put the camera on to do a story after he showed me how to use Instagram. He would never say anything nothing i'm like we had this epic day you know tell everybody about your day and he wouldn't even look at me i mean there's the 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 they're saved on um what's that called on your instagram on the bottom and your on your highlights highlights yeah so they're saved in the highlights so it really started there you know so the one day we had this great day we caught a tarpon and all these big snook and uh 
I was super pumped, you know, nothing feels better than go home knowing that you actually accomplished your goal for the day. And, uh, so I asked him, I was like, I was like, so what do you think, Hunter? You just had this great day, epic fishing, blah, 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 blah. He doesn't even look at me. And I just said, there you have it from the silent captain. (laughs) And the amount of response on that story, like the message is silent captain. And they're all the emoji with the, the finger in front of the face. And it just took off from there. So ever since then, he's never said anything in any kind of videoing or stories or anything like, and people would ask, does he really talk? Cause we'd be out on the boat and the music would be blaring and I would be like having a great time. And I'd flip it to him and just a stern look the hey, whole man, time. There, you got, you got some, uh, some people ahead of you that have already, that have already played this game very successfully. You got Penn and Teller, you got clerks. Yeah. You got yeah. silent Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he's yeah. done. I mean, he's done really. I mean, so then it went from like, then I would just push the bar. So I would tell him like, oh, just stay in the boat for a minute. I'm going to I'm gonna pull you out. And then I would pull him out in the boat trailer and give him like a victory lap around the boat ramp a couple times. And <laughs> people would wave to him and stuff and just different things. And we'd put it on the story and people were like, oh, man, the silent captain's going to go nuts. So, so yeah, so that's kind of kind of really how it started. And, and at the time, he only had his, his Hunter uh, Instagram. And I'm like, you really need to switch it to the silent captain. And he switched it to a silent captain and that his following really kind of took off from there. Right so. on. Well, after this, you're going to have tons of people. Yeah. There's even so many people following the silent so captain. So many new fans. That's, that's it. going to be amazing. All right, fellas. That's awesome, hey. man. Well, I wish you all the best in the quest for 100. I hope that I can be one of the people that catches one. If not, we'd love, we'd love to have you, it. Tom. It's love awesome. Love to have you. And uh, then the next quest begins. That's so it. we'll check it again. Absolutely. But, uh, nice having you, Hunter. Thank you very much. Thank you. Silent Captain. Look, I got something out of it. Yeah, you did. Right on. <laughs> I put That's the camera good. on you now. <laughs> it's been on the whole time. It's been on the whole time. Don't pay any attention to these guys. Man. Be the Silent Captain. I like it. That's uh, good. It's good. All right. So if you guys want to follow, follow along, you know all the Instagrams. And uh, also, more importantly, if you want to help the Bahamas, go back to the beginning of the podcast and look at all those uh, places where you can places where you can donate and i'll put all that in the show notes and we wish all the bahamians the best yeah they need some help for all sure. right good luck to you guys and thank you very much thanks thank you see you